Episode 214 of the Bevan James Isles Show, How to Deal with Frustration in Others. Tim, welcome along to episode 214 of the Bev and James I'll Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of exercise so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Where do I start? It's a beautiful day here in Christchurch. It's a winter's day, but I can see the mountains off and they're looking snowy and I'm feeling good. It's nice and fresh. I had a great session with my runners this morning. Today's a good day. I like that. Today's a good day. Today's show, it's a little bit different. Well, it's not different. It's a Bevan show. So I'm going to be, basically, I, I've got a couple of questions that I'm going to answer um, two, from two completely different people. And one question I've never, ever had before. And I'm just going to give my opinion on this question. It's not that I'm an expert in this area, but we'll get deeper into that one when we get into the main gist of the show. And then another question about just finding your mojo when maybe you've lost your mojo. Uh, before I get into the main gist of the show, I do want to say, I just want to tell you a bit of a quick story. So uh, if you've listened to the show for a long time, you've probably heard me talk about my friend Sean, aka Sean of the Porno. And he is one of my good mates. And one, Sean and I have this really good kind of thing where... Um, Probably every month to six weeks to two months, we go out for breakfast on a Monday morning, and it's 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 a, just a good chance for two two guys who like to go a bit deep and meaningful to to grab some food and just go deep and meaningful. And to be honest, if, if I'm going to be honest, one of the best things you can do in life is invest in time in a relationship like that. You know, I always walk away from this breakfast with Sean with this. You know, you're just thinking about deeper level stuff. You're kind of questioning things, but in a really healthy way. Um, it, it's kind of mind expanding, if you know what I mean, and, and expanding in a way that just helps you open up in ways that is really healthy for yourself. And so, a couple of weeks ago, Sean and I caught up at C1, which is kind of our one of one of my favourite cafes in Christchurch, and we caught up for breakfast and we're just having a chat and. One thing you need to know about Sean, and actually we've interviewed Sean on this, he's been on this podcast years ago with um, him and Kieran, did an interview about kind of men's health, and one thing about Sean is, Sean is a high level man, like Sean has got a doctorate in engineering, so obviously very, very intelligent, he has done Ironman triathlon, so very, very fit man, uh, an amazing musician, like Sean, I think, I'm, I'm not quite sure if he got to grade nine on piano, but basically got to like one of the highest level grades on piano, and he's one of those guys who could just pick up an instrument and hear a song and smash it out, like he's, he's, he, I love, like, he's like a hundred times better than me as a musician, but I'm always inspired when I'm around, I'm not kind of jealous, because I just kind of think, wow, I'd love to one day be like you, and to be honest, I don't know if I'll ever be like Sean when it comes to music, but I'm, you know, it's kind of just, that's why I'm inspired by him. Uh, the other thing about him, which is really cool, is he's created the life he loves, like, as a friend, and through some of these kind of big conversations that we have, you know, I can remember about 10 years ago, Porno and I going out for breakfast, and I was having chats, and he was in a career where he was successful, but he wasn't passionate about. And he's made choices, he's made decisions to move away from careers and, and opportunity to go towards places which now he's passionate about. And he's always, he's someone who really cares kind of about the environment and things like that. And he's found his passion in his career around procurement. So procurement is when you get big organizations buying things, but using procurement for social good. And so, for example, 
uh, one of the ones he has is, I can't remember, there's some kind of widget that some big firm was buying. And so he got some um, disabled group who were basically disabled people who weren't getting work. And the, through his procurement, they were able to get these disabled people into jobs. And that's what he kind of does. He goes to these big organisations, think government organisation, think Air New Zealand, think of these big organisations. And he teaches them how they can use their procurement to have social good in the world and he's really passionate about it and he's kind of becoming a bit of a thought leader in New Zealand around this subject. Now the thing about Shono is this isn't a fluke, he's created this in his life. He, you know, again 10-12 years ago he was in a place where he had a good career but he wasn't passionate about it and he, he stepped away from it and he kind of built these seeds and he's, you know, so he's, he, he's someone you can really admire because he has done done the work done the mahi as we say in New Zealand and what he's done is he's kind of created the life that he desires so we're going out for breakfast a couple of weeks ago and we're having a chat and he, he tells me about how one day I, I told him he was creative and he, he and it was really like it was you know, you know when you, you someone's had like a a, a life defining moment that they can like describe the moment to you and and I'm sitting at this cafe on C1 just having breakfast with Shauna and he talks to me about how I had once told him that he was creative and he like he told me what the cafe we were at he said he, I remember it really clearly and obviously in his mind up until this point in his life he maybe didn't see himself as a creative person. Now, from the outside, I don't think I was, you know, in that conversation from a few years ago, I don't think I was saying something that was that revolutionary. Like, I think if you'd ask anybody in Sean's life, um, is Sean creative? They would have said, far out, yeah, this guy's a creative genius. Like, he's musician-wise, you know, he could just create amazingly. Career-wise, he's a great problem solver. You know, what he's doing with his career, you know, he's, he's just a creative person. But interestingly, within himself, that was not something that he identified with, maybe as much as what he should have. And the, the catch-up that we'd had a few years ago, me and just saying the thing that I thought about my friend, helped him open up to maybe the fact that he was creative. And obviously it, it kind of triggered something in him and, it, and it made him realise that maybe he wants to be more creative and you know maybe that's the work he's doing on himself right now. But the fascinating thing I, I, I took away from this was the impact that your words can have on somebody's life where maybe you don't even realise you're having an impact. Because I don't think, you know, because sometimes in life as someone who gets to be a leader and a mentor and someone who gets to guide other people, sometimes I'm really consciously making a choice about a statement I'm going to say to somebody because I know they need to hear it from me. They might be lacking a bit of confidence. They may be not backing themselves in a little bit of area. So so I'm going to come at them as a coach, as a mentor and really reinforce something great about them that, that helps them see that within themselves. But I don't think I was doing that with Sean O. You know, I can't remember, it was a few years ago, but I don't think I was doing that when I was doing that conversation. I don't think in, I don't think to myself I was thinking, Sean who doesn't see himself as not as a creative person, I need to tell him this. I, I was just probably saying, mate, you're a creative person because that's how I see you, you know, if you get what I mean. But the power of that to Sean was a really powerful thing. And by me giving that to Sean, he probably shifted his self-perception a little bit, which allowed him to see himself as a creative person. 
And with that opening up of creativity, he obviously has been able to go down that path a little bit more. An example which I've talked about on this show in the past myself is when I was a young man, I started playing guitar, I worked really hard at it, and guitar was the first thing that I ever tried that I actually worked at, that I, you know, I got better at because I worked at. And I remember one night, and I started singing as well, and in those days I could sing, teaching fitness has killed my singing voice, but I was a, I was a, I was a good kind of rock singer. And, and, and an okay guitarist, and, and I, didn't, I didn't think I was good at it, I, I had no confidence in it, and I remember one night, a, a lovely girl by the name of Sarah Woolley turned around and she said, you realise when you're not around, all your friends say you're good on the guitar and you can sing really well, and she gave that to me, and it was, it, like it's, I remember that moment to this day, like Shauna with me, that was a really key moment in my life, and why am I sharing this with you? Well, what a powerful tool to have in your life. Like, if, if one of the best things you can do in life is help somebody else get better. Like, seriously, it's one of the most rewarding things you can do in life. And if you can understand this, and you can understand that your words have the power to open up possibility in somebody else, imagine how you, who you can be in other people's lives. Now, I kind of want to challenge you with this sentence. I want you to think about how you can apply this to somebody in your life. And I'm going to give you a bit of homework. Yep, the Bevan homework. I might, I might start the Bevan homework bit. And the Bevan homework bit works a little bit like this. I want you to choose somebody in your life in an area where you think they don't understand how good they are. And it doesn't mean that they have to be a rock star. You know, like Sean is a bit of a rock star. You know, he's a high-level guy. But even if they just, you know, they're doing better at exercise than what they think they are. You know, maybe they've started an exercise habit and they're, they're doing, just keeping the habit in place. Um, so I want you to identify somebody and I want you to kind of figure out the area where a powerful statement about them from you could be a really big thing. Then I want you to do is I want you to think about how you're going to term this statement. And you can just say the statement. So with Sean, I probably said the thing about you, mate, is you're such a creative person. You know, that's, uh, and I like kind of coming in with it, the thing about you, that kind of the lead in sentence, what I like about you, I love the way how, you know, these types of statements. So the thing about you is, and then you say the character trait, the thing that you like, and then if you really want to go to the next level, is you can share an example of it. So you could say, the thing I like about you is how determined you've been in bringing exercise in. And I've loved watching how every week, even in the bad weather, you've turned up and you've done exercise three times a week, which was your plan to start with. See what I've done there? Kind of identified the thing, told them the thing, and then showed them why they have the example of this in their life. Um, I want you to do it. That's your homework. That's your Bevan homework for this week. And what I want you to do is I want you to do, once you've done it, two things. I want you to notice how they respond. Just, just notice. And, and, you know, some people will be dismissive. Some people will get embarrassed. Oh, yeah, but bam. But just some people will say thank you. Some people will, you, they'll feel pretty amazing about themselves. And I want you to feel how you feel when you do that. Giving compliments is one of the most powerful things we can do in life. Making people feel good about themselves is one of the most rewarding things we can do. But if we can make people feel good about themselves in a way that opens them up and empowers them in, to, to better possibilities, man, that's powerful stuff. So your Bevan homework for this week is to do that. Now, if you want to email me and let me know how you get along, you can email me bevanjames at gmail.com and uh, let me know because I'd be fascinated to see 
the effect it will have on you. Like when Sean said that to me, and I haven't even told Sean I'm going to talk about this on a podcast. So even in, you know, I haven't told him I'm going to talk about it. But I, I felt pretty cool when I walked away. Like I had to talk about it to you guys today because I felt, I thought, wow, it's really cool that I've had a cool impact on one of my mates. You know, and, and again, I wasn't saying anything I didn't think was obvious, but it helped him see something that maybe he didn't see so clearly within himself. So your homework, choose a person, identify an area, find a way to make a statement. Once you've made it, notice how they respond. And just notice how it makes you feel about yourself. Before I get into the main show, I just want to say a big thank you to all our patrons. And I have got a new patron this week. Now, who's my new patron? My new patron is, and I got a lovely email from this person. I'm going to pull him up right now. His name is, now it's Gethin, I think it is. Gethin, G-E-H-T-H. Um, Geth. It's Geth Hopkin. Geth Hopkin, but I think it's Gethin. He also became a patron of my I Am Talk podcast. And I, and I screwed up his name big time. So I'm not good with names, guys. I'm not. I'm not good with names. I can't deny it. So if I ever mess up your name, don't be offended. It's purely because I'm not good with names. But Gethin, and he just said uh, he's just been listening to the show for a long time. He's done his first standard distance triathlon recently, which has been really awesome. Um, you know, it's just some really cool stuff. But he became a patron of both my podcasts, which I thought was pretty cool. And um, we've given him a patron name on Iron Talk, but I've given him a different one for this one. So Hopkin, give him the Hopkins. So when you think Hopkins, you think Anthony Hopkins, don't you? And we do kind of go down that path with Iron Talk, but I didn't with this one. I kind of went, I started thinking Hopkins, and then I think, um, here comes the big, here comes, I started thinking of um, a song, Turn it up, here comes the big dump, hopper, turn it. I think I've even got the wrong words. <laughs> I'm such a fool. So I've gone, Geth, turn it up, Hopkins. Because the song that his last name reminded me of was, was that song that went, turn it up, here comes the big bumper, turn it up, something like that. So Geth, you are, turn it up, Geth Hopkins, or Geth, turn it up, Hopkins. If you want to become a patron of the show, and for those people who are patrons, I will name a few, Greg the Python Crowley, we've got Luke Mayhem Miller, we've got... Uh, Pip the Assassin, we've got uh, Kate's the Perfect One, we've got Robbie Big Shot Allen, and we've also got Gemma and Mitch Devine. Gemma actually did a 5k run for me this morning and she smashed it, so you rock Gemma. So these are the patrons of the show, uh, keep it up, and if you want to become a patron, go to bevanjamesisles.com. You support the show, which is really important, but also you get a cool nickname as well. Thank you to all the patrons, let's get into the main gist of the show. I received a question from, I'm not going to name the person of this because I kind of went back to them saying, can I answer it on the podcast and I haven't heard back from them. And so I don't want to name a name because, you know, it's kind of a, it's an interesting one. And I got a question which, you know, a lot of times you kind of get similar questions on this podcast and just in life and, you know, when it comes to supporting people. And um, I got a question from somebody which I'd never really received before. And I'm going to share my answer on it. And I'm going to give an answer which is just, my thoughts. So there's no kind of expertise that comes across like this, but I, I just wanted to share it because I thought it was a really interesting question. So the question was, um, this may be a good question for your own podcast. I was wondering if you could give me any good strategies related to me being so negative and critical of others in my personal life. I had quite a strict upbringing and often find myself being so strict, negative and critical with my partner and our children for the silliest things like when they don't put something away such as, as clean clothes or leave a dinner plate in the table. 
I want to be able to let these little things not get to me and just move on uh, or put the clothes away myself. But I always find myself having a moan at that person instead. I'd love to learn to be softer, more chilled and to be more gentle. What a really interesting question. And um, it's a really interesting question particularly for parents because it's interesting. If, if you ever get to meet me and you ask anybody in my life, do you ever see Bevan angry? Like, I think Joe, my wife. Oh, here's a good example. My ex-partner, Annalise. I remember one time I yelled at her. Like, I, I you know, just yelled. And she was so happy that I <laughs> yelled at her. She turned around and she goes, thank God for that. And the reason she said that was because I'm such a passive soul. And um, and it was, it was kind of, for her to actually get a response out of me was a good thing. And so... So most people in my life don't see that, but they're probably the only person other than Annalise at one time was my daughter would get that version. I mean, my daughter, your kids can push a button. So there's there's an aspect of that which I imagine all parents listening to this right now can identify with. There's something about our children that they can just push a nerve that make you know that, that brings out a side of ourselves that we don't like. And, and that's often the disappointing thing about when we respond to our our kids but just people in our life in a way where we're dis- where we don't like ourselves we're ultimately disappointed in ourselves and actually I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday and he's he's this guy who's got a new management job and it's the culture's not great and he's really really wants to work towards creating a great culture and he's got a, his heart's in the right place and he's kind of got this team where half the team's rock stars and half the team just aren't on board and the culture is going to be a hard thing to work on and he was just saying he's, you know some of the times when these people have let them down he's had to go quite hard on them and I didn't actually speak to him about this but I was thinking about how you've got to be careful of not not making that the default you know like when I yelled at Annalise suddenly it became easy to yell at her the next time and and I think I did actually end up yelling at her a couple of times and because once I opened that door that became an acceptable behaviour for me and you just got to be careful when you open up to types of ways that you act that then open a door to allowing that to be the norm now this isn't the answer to what this person's talking about here but I just think it is something that we can do you know it's that first time you yell at somebody and you yell at them and then suddenly yelling at them is now an option for you and even though after the fact you're kind of disappointed that you yelled at that person. Uh, it's just something to think about. So going back to this question around not liking how you deal with people when they touch a nerve that you don't like. And I, and I suppose the first thing I think to help yourself is you've got to understand the nerve that they are triggering. And you might think to yourself, well, they're triggering the fact they're not tidy. So you might think to yourself, well, it's a standard that I like to maintain because that means I get to be in my healthy place. I'll use an example in my life. My wife is a very, very tidy person. She is somebody who, her house is always immaculate. Um, she's somebody who um, is, you know, for and the reason she is this way is that she gets to relax once everything's done and she's got high standards for herself around how we live. Now, I've got to be honest, for that reason, she does a lot more around the house than I do. Before I lived with Joe, I, I wasn't a, a messy person, I wasn't a disgusting person, but I definitely, our house wasn't as tidy, or my old house wasn't as tidy as what it is now. And so Joe has a standard that she likes to maintain. Now, I don't have that standard. 
you know, uh, and, and I don't even think like that. Like I often say, she sees a colour that I don't see. And what I mean by that is that Joe can walk into a house and think, oh, it's not that, it's a bit of a mess right now. And I'll walk in and think, it's pretty tidy right now. And it's just a different standard. And so when we think about the trigger, what you want to think about is, what are they triggering? Now, you might think, well, my kids aren't keeping to my standard. But is there a deeper layer of the trigger that, that that's figuring? Because it might be that you feel they're being disrespectful. So that you might say, well, it's not that they're cleaning up and I like to live in a clean house. But ultimately, it might be that what you're really telling yourself is nobody respects me in my life. And it's really interesting when you look at relationships. And I'll share an example with, with Joe and I again. So one thing we do is um, we, we bought a house a couple of years ago. And well, about three years ago now. And we, we bought a house on a hill and um, we love our home. But stupidly, we didn't know this at the time, but we've got a very short driveway, but it's very steep. And so we can't get our car over the driveway. So there's this thing where we have to park on the street all the time because we can't get our, there's a kind of lip in our driveway, which is so steep. And our car's only like a, like a hatchback. So we can't get a car down our driveway. And there's a while ago where Joe was in a bit of a high tension place and she got really upset about not getting the car down the driveway. And, um, and we, what we will end up doing is we'll end up buying like an SUV, so like a small SUV so we can get a car over our driveway. I know it's stupid, but it is just one of those things. And Joe got really upset about it, and she got upset at me because she she said, I don't understand that what not being able to get a car in the driveway meant. And, and I really didn't. Now, the thing about it was, so for Joe, she basically thought I didn't really respect what she did and there's two kind of scales to this because there's this one scale of I kind of just thought well because the thing about our car is the, we park it on the street but it is literally only 10 meters from our door so it's not a you know it's not like you've got to go for 100 meters to put anything in the car but on a Saturday morning with our runners we have to pack a lot of gear into our car we pack you know literally think a hatchback you put down the back seats and you're piled up with stuff because we're going to go set up courses we've got to tables and sign-ins and all this kind of stuff now for me, the car was never a problem, but I didn't pack the car on a Saturday morning. And because we had to park the car on the street, Joe would have to get up early on a Saturday morning. And when I say early, it could often be at like quarter to five on a Saturday morning, and she would pack the car. And so in Joe's mind, I wasn't helping her with this task. And maybe, I don't know, I haven't asked Joe this, but maybe she felt I was just being taking her for granted. So while she, she, she would have said, well, the problem is you're not, the, the car's on the street and I have to pack the car in the morning, it was probably that I'm not appreciating and I'm not respecting the work that she needs to do on a Saturday morning. Because what would happen on a Saturday morning is um, she would get up and start packing the car and I'd just come into my office and do some emails. So it wasn't that I was just mucking around, I'd just come and do a different kind of task. But she's out there setting up the car and all the rest of it. Now, the problem, the real problem was, was the car, but also maybe, and I haven't asked her, I should probably ask her this, is that she probably didn't feel that I was I was not respecting her or I didn't value the work that she did in this area. Now the thing is, I didn't know. I didn't actually know that she felt this way. And I remember when she got upset about the car, I understood that ultimately one of the things that she needed me to do is just to help her pack the car. Now we do need to get a new car and we probably will in the next period of time and that solves the problem because then she can pack the car on a Friday and so on. But what I really took away from it was that actually one thing I need to do every Saturday morning is 
get out of bed, and the first thing I do is go out and, and start packing the car with her. Now, pretty much every Saturday morning, that's what I do now. Is so we get up, I go out to the garage, I help her set up the car, and I just do it. But I didn't know that. And so when we think about the triggers, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to understand your trigger. Because sometimes we need to understand a trigger so we can communicate that with the people we're trying to work with. So there's the two layers of trigger. You know, you might say, well, it's not the standard because they're not putting stuff away. And I get it. But what's the deeper layer? Is it that you're not being respected? Is it that nobody values you in your house? Is it that you feel, you know, I'm not quite sure what it is, but that's what you're trying to figure out is what is the real trigger that this nerve hits? It's a really important thing. Now, once you understand the trigger, probably a thing that you need to start working on is how you're going to process this trigger within yourself. Um, a lot of times, with, like the example I see with Joe, in a lot of relationships, people interpret behaviours and then attach something to it. So like that there, Joe could have assumed that I didn't value the work she, she did. It wasn't that. I was just absent-minded. I didn't actually think, she'd never really said to me, packing the car's a real pain in the bum. And, you know, so I just was absent-minded. But she could have potentially attached to, he doesn't respect me to this. Now, I don't know if that's the case in this situation, but a lot of people in relationships probably understand what I'm talking about right now. That when we're in a relationship, someone will behave in a way and you'll attach that behavior to that trigger that you have, but their behavior may have not even come from that place like your children kids are just absent-minded you know cleaning up's not that important to them so while you probably tell them to do it a hundred times that it might be they're just forgetful but you could probably take it in a way where they are that, that trigger of that thing that they're pushing that button in that place and you may think they're doing it deliberately now sometimes they may be don't get me wrong Sometimes they may be, but you've got to find the way that you can deal with the situation in a better place. So the first thing to do is to understand the trigger and really try to a raw level, understand that trigger, what that trigger is. Then for adults, it's probably worth having a discussion. So with your wife, talk about why this is important for you. And I think when it comes to with adults and probably teenagers, teenagers are probably a little bit tougher, but with adults is... Talk about the trigger and then talk about the compromise. So if I go back to Joe and I, when we moved in together, um, again, her standards are higher than mine. She sees a colour that I don't see. And when we first moved in together, I knew I needed to be sharper around the house. But I was never going to be sharp enough. you know. And, and again, if we go back to Joe needs to get the thing done before she can relax, I need to relax and then I'll get the thing done. And the example I'll share is I make lunch every lunch. So Joe cooks dinner every night. I make lunch every lunch. So I'll stop anywhere from like 10.30 through to 12. I'll go make lunch and then Joe and I'll make lunch together. Now, when I make lunch, the, the, the kitchen bench top, everything's pretty much on the kitchen bench top. You know, I, I've cleaned up a little bit as I'm making lunch, but I, I'm not that kind of person who cleans up as you go. So I'll make lunch. Joe and I will sit down and have lunch together. And then, you know, we'll spend a bit of time together. And then once we've had our lunch, Joe will go back downstairs. And then I'll, I'll meditate first, and then I'll clean up my lunch mess after the fact. Now, for Joe, when we moved in together, I had to say to her, babe, hey, this is how I work. You know, just so you know that I will clean up, but I'll clean up after the fact. So she needed to learn that with me, I'm going to work this way. And I needed to learn sometimes I need to clean up things first just because that's important for her. And so 
with the, in, with the adults in your life or people you can have an intelligent conversation around it, start to have a conversation around how we work together and where is the compromise within that? You know, where is the compromise? Like Joe does accept, she doesn't ever clean up you know, my lunch mess. and Because I'd kind of be offended if she cleaned up my lunch mess. So if she came in and started cleaning up, I was like, no, because then, then I feel bad because she's having to do something because I haven't done it in the time frame she likes. Like, I feel guilty if she comes in and starts cleaning up my lunch mess. And it doesn't actually allow me to enjoy my relaxing. And so she needed to learn, you know what? Let the bench be a mess, he will get it done. And then I need to learn at times when I need to be sharper for Joe because, you know, I'm not keeping on the top that way it works way for her. And that's what I think when it comes to adults is you've got to find that compromise and you have to, it ultimately has to be a bit of acceptance around that. Now the other thing is, is sometimes I let Joe down. Sometimes Joe will just kind of say, you haven't done enough around the house lately. And I obviously I try to stay above that standard, but there are moments where she'll drop a hint and, and I, I've got to go, you know what, she's right. So that's that part of the intellectual relationship you want to have with the, 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 the adults in your life. But if we think of that when that trigger gets that set, I think you've got, to, you've got to pause within yourself because ultimately what happens is you're going to an emotional response which often leads to damage. So what, what, what I mean there is that the kids leave something on the table, they don't put their gear away. So what happens is that triggers that raw emotion in you and unfortunately how you're responding is taking you to a place and you don't like within yourself. So first of all, understanding the trigger is really important. Maybe trying to figure out ways to process your trigger. But then B, once you feel the trigger, pause yourself from that moment and a really good strategy is actually just to maybe remove yourself from that moment so you know it might be you know what the plate's not clean I'm just going to go outside take a couple breathers take a moment go listen to a song I might just you know go whatever it is just remove yourself for a moment and then as you pause once you've kind of removed yourself for a moment just go what's the wisest way for me to deal with this you know, what's the wisest way for me to deal with this? Now, obviously, yelling, being critical or being mean or, or moaning at the person is probably not the wisest way. Now, it's not to say that you can't teach your kids to be clean or to teach them that they need to put their clothes away. But you're really trying to find the wisest way forward. And the thing is, if you can remove yourself from that emotional place and you use that question of what's the wisest way for me to deal with this, then... um you'll find a better path forward. And I think the, the most important thing is you've got to remove yourself from the emotion. That's why that pause moment is really important. So pause and release is probably a better way to put it. So catch your trigger, pause and release, and that can be remove yourself, that can be just doing some affirmations, that can be going outside and get some fresh air, whatever. Just pause and release, and then use the question of what's the wisest way for me to deal with this? Is it a teaching moment? Is it that I just need to let it go? You know, because the thing that we need to understand, particularly people who have kind of these high standards for themselves, is not everyone's like us. Like, not everyone's going to care about the things that you care about and to the standards that you care about. And sometimes in life we just have to, like my wife has accepted, he has to, he has to relax before he's going to be a clean up. You know, and so when we think about these things, what's the wisest way forward and then what's the course of action that can help me do that? Um, Ultimately, you want to get to a point where you can deal with these moments in a way that you can be proud of. And hopefully, I, I'm not quite sure if I've given you what you need there, but I just think that what you do, the way you're responding right now, ultimately damages the situation. 
And for me, for you to be able to deal with it in a much healthier light, you've got to get to a place that allows you to deal with it in a healthier light. One is to deal with the root cause, and that's by having deeper, figuring out the triggers and then having a deeper conversation. Like, let's say it is that you don't feel people respect you in your house. Well, maybe it's about sitting down with your wife and just saying, what's the way that we can work together where I feel more respected? And you, and you could say to her, what's the thing that you feel frustrated with that maybe I can work on that can help you feel more, you know, supported in that way? You know, and then, then when it comes to the trigger, pause, uh, pause and release. What's the wisest way forward? I'd love to hear. Give it a go. And now the thing about you know, God, if you listen to the show, you hear me say this a million times. This is going to be a practice thing. You know, it's going to be a practice thing. You're going to have to learn to, to go through that process. But if you're going to learn to go through that process, the, the better you get it, the, the wisest way forward the better you'll be able to engage the people in your life in a way that's actually healthier for all of you. You know, healthier in a way that you don't feel bad about yourself, you have a deeper relationship, you know, because you want to create deep bonds with the people in your life, not a disconnect with people in your life. And interestingly, you said you were brought up quite harshly. And I, and I imagine in some ways you probably really appreciate the harshness that your parents brought you up. You know, you, you may, you know, there's high standards you have for yourself, you might value, but then you maybe don't like the, the way they treated you. And, and maybe some of the things that you struggle with in yourself come from that yourself. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's an, yeah, interesting. So, so there's that. And, and maybe just one last thing with the kids, and this is something for all parents to remember is kids get there. You know, young kids aren't perfect. And I, I remember my daughter, here's a good example. I remember my daughter was terrible at table manners. And it was one of those things that I would be on her case at. And I remember as an adult, um, I gave her a hard time one night. She goes, Dad, you know what? I got there, didn't I? <laughs> she did. She's, got good. She's an adult. Table waiters aren't that hard to learn. She got there. When it became important to her, she learned it. When she went out socially with her friends and she had to eat at a restaurant, she realized she needed to be at a table manners. Sometimes we just have to accept that they're going to get there. Maybe not on our trajectory, but they probably will get there. So hopefully that helps with that one. There's the next question I got was from this lovely young lady called Harriet Lord. Harriet Lord is, you know what, we, we, there's that thing of the, the kids are going to be all right. It's that kind of, the next generation always thinks the generation after them is is in big trouble. You know, you know, our life was better when we were kids. Life was easier. Now I admit, this next generation has some, some challenges that my generation, social media, some of that stuff I admit, it's, there's some massive challenges that they have to face. But at the same time, there's some amazing young kids out there and some amazing young kids where I think, hey, the intelligence of them, so the kids I know, and their emotional awareness, you know, there's just some great kids I know. And, and Harriet Lords is one of these kids. She's probably, I don't know, I think she's in her first year of university. Um, she's studying hard. She, she, she comes to the gym, she trains hard. She's got a lovely presence. Just a good good person, uh, and her dad Peter's a lovely man as well, he ran with our group for a while. Um, you kind of just think, if, if kids like Harriet Lord are the future, I can look forward to a good retirement because they're going to be looking after us well. But Harriet's a bit of a runner, and she sent me through a question, she got, Bevan, I'm just missing you for some advice. Running is obviously something I'm really into, and for the last couple of months, but for the last couple of months, I haven't been really been enjoying it in the normal way I do. I've still been running as regularly as I normally would, but motivation has been way lower, which usually, usually results in slower or shorter runs. I've tried mixing up my training routes and keep to stuff that's a bit interesting, but especially with uni and stuff I'm mostly limited to, oh, with uni and other stuff, I'm mostly limited to running around home. Any tips on regaining a bit of motivation, better performance in this time? Hope you're having a great week so far. 
It's a question that a lot of people will come to me with. You know, what do I do when I've lost my mojo? And I think one thing to be aware of, and I'm going to throw a few things at, at, at you here, Harriet, and it's, hopefully other people will take something from this. I think the first thing to th- understand is you've had a shift in your life. And uh, I'm pretty sure your first year this year, and uh, I, I think from what I recall, Harriet's doing a law degree, so it's a pretty full-on degree, and uh, she's pretty passionate about her nutrition as well, so she's probably studying on those areas as well. And so... What's probably happened is you've had a life change, which means your situation around running has changed. And this is often the, one of the factors that happens around Mojo is that people, things have happened outside of that area that has influenced that area. So, you know, she's gone from being a student at school, which is, school's really interesting. When you watch the person who goes from school life to uni life, it's a really interesting moment because kids in school, especially at good schools, they, the schools are really structured, hold your hand experience. And, you know, you, there's a bell, you have to be here at certain times, there's clubs, there's adults supporting you through this whole journey. Then you leave school and you go to university and university is a free reign. And so you kind of move out of the structured world into this very unstructured world where you've got to learn how to manage yourself in a much different way. And the expectations and demands are different upon you. And, are much more independent in how you have to manage this. And while I'm, I'm sure Harriet's a very intelligent young woman, um, there's all these other kind of new stresses and demands that maybe you haven't had to consider. And maybe you aren't even subconscious of as you look at the demands on your life. And so one thing to acknowledge is that the shift in your life probably means that running is a little bit different. And actually, when I think of her message, what did she say in her message? I'm just, I'm just going back to her message here. She says... Um, I've tried mixing up my running routes and keeps uh, and stuff to keep it a bit interesting, but especially with uni and stuff, I'm mostly limited to running around my home. So that's a really good example of that. Her life shifted, and so her time frame, so whereas maybe she would have driven to a really beautiful route or gone up some hill runnings and stuff like that, but now, because her life situation's changed, it's harder for her to fit it in. And that's one of the reasons maybe she's lacking her mojo. And so I think one thing, again, is just to kind of think about accepting my life situation's changed. And then I think this is a really good question to, to ask yourself, Harriet, is, how does the why of my running change? How does the why of my running change? And I see this a lot with people, um, with my runners, and I'll, and I'll talk to my runners about this. So a good example, I was speaking to a lady the other night who um, has had a bit of an injury, but has been able to run, but it's been a bit limiting. But also life is extremely busy right now. And she's someone who's achieved a lot recently for running, made some massive gains. I remember we, she, I can't remember what time it was. Let's say she wanted to go under 30 minutes for a 5K, and she never could. And I think her best was like 32. And uh, her name's Tracy. Tracy's this lovely lady who runs with us. And um, and I said to her, she'd done the 10K run, and she'd done under an but maybe an hour one or, or maybe even under 10, an hour for 10K. So I was like, Tracy, you can do sub five. You can do sub 30 for 5Ks. And so she did this run. I can't remember what she did, but she smashed it. She PB'd and she was really on top of the world. And that was about four months ago. And then she's had this little bit of an injury. Life's been busy. And the mojo of running's kind of gone away a little bit. She came along to the session the other night and I said, Trace, right now you've got to shift your why for running. Because it's not a performance time for you. Running is not about performance for you because you just can't commit in a performance way. A, you've got to deal with this injury. B, you just don't have the time and energy. The why for your running right now needs to be a mental release, a stress release, and something that's just good for you in your week right now. And you could see as I said this to her, there was just this kind of, 
<laughs> you know, this kind of relief in her, in her energy because she was still trying to put that high performance why on her running, but she couldn't be it. So her running was actually a disappointing thing in her life at that moment. And when we think about her, we didn't want running to be a disappointing thing. She needed running for a stress release. She needed running for something for her. She needed running just to kind of offload her day. And as soon as I gave that to her and I gave her permission to go to that place, there was just a sense of relief. And it actually interesting, as I think of that session, she absolutely smashed the session. And maybe it was because she just changed her why. And so I just think maybe one thing that you want to think about here, Harriet, is what is your why for running as your life has changed around university? And while you did say, you know, you still want to have good performance through your running, is maybe just shifting the why. Maybe it is just some days you're going to use running as a stress release. Some days that it might be to release that, that high tension, you know, you do need to do a hard run. And when you think about the why for someone in your situation, it's almost like, you know, like with Tracy, it was kind of like, you know, you need to do a big why. You know, for the next eight weeks, she wants to train for the Queensland Half Marathon. We don't start training for that like until early September. So she's kind of got like eight weeks where her why is just release stress, get on top of her injury. Whereas Harriet, you might have a few different whys and it's a why based on the day so you might go it's been a big day at uni I'm going to go out for a run and my why is a stress release and then you want to think well if that's my why how do I set up a good stress release so you might go I'm going to listen to my favorite chilled music and I'm going to run I think you live out by the beach um, I'm going to go run out, out by the beach and just be in nature that's my today and that's how I'm going to do a stress release why run and then you might have a day where you're just feeling tension and you need to go hard you know and what you're going to do is you're going to do some K repeats with some recoveries in it and you're going to set some paces which are a little because you need that why to release the tension that's in you and so a good thing for you to think about is maybe identify a few different whys and instead of having a strict program that's kind of like you have to do this on that day and this on that day that you kind of have this broad range of whys and when you get home and you kind of it's planned your time to go for your run you're going to go what's my why for today and as I think about my why for today how do I maximize that why so again if it is just about relaxing how do I you know what I'm you know I'm going to relax, I'm going to put some music on, I'm going to go down, you know, just do my favourite beautiful trail, um, you know, it might be that you need some social time, so you ring your mate, you know, go running with, you know, you need some time where you can just forget about the world and have a laugh, and injecting the why, and then having plans for your different why, is something that, can, that allows you to be a bit more responsive to how you feel right now. And that's just a really nice way to approach this. And then with this, you can set objectives, but objectives are based on the why. So it could be, again, it's when you need intensity, when you need to relax, when you need um, social, when you need a challenge, when you need nature, when you need to actually feel some inspiration. It might be that you listen to a podcast that inspires you. And again, you're just going to inject those in the day that you need it. Because if you can imagine... You get the why that you need every day you go for a run. So the day you need relaxing, you come and you go, oh, I feel relaxed. The day you need a challenge, you come and you go, man, I smashed it, I'm feeling on top of the world. That's going to bring running back to a valuable place in your life. And ultimately, that's what you want right now. So to recap, what you want to think about is what is my why and maybe what are my different whys based on the needs of today? And running can be a fulfilling of my why based on those needs, which actually allows me to be a high performer in the other areas of my life, like university and the other areas I'm trying to grow myself in. So to recap on the two key areas, again, worth going back to the early conversation around frustration, 
learn your triggers, communicate your triggers, pause, pause and release, and then what's the wisest way to deal with this moment? And then with the when you're losing your mojo, think of your why, maybe even think of different whys for different situations, and then respond in that way there. Hopefully, I've given you something for, to think about here, and uh, as always, if you do this stuff, hopefully you'll be there. Higher version of yourself. Rightio, team, that's uh, the last episode pretty much done and dusted. Hopefully there's some insight in there for those two people who wrote the emails or asked the questions, but also um, hopefully it's just insight overall for everyone in the podcast because that's what I try to do on this show. Uh, anything else I need to add to this note? Just want to say a big thank you to our patrons. Uh, if you are a patron, thank you very much. If you want to become a patron, go to bevanjamesisles.com and you can just go to podcast support me also while you're there if you want to run 5k's you got my 5k dream um, and I've also got my new weekly video which is keep active with bevan.co.nz you can sign up for that free I release it every Sunday night uh, if you want to also support the show one of the ways you can support the show is just by giving a, a a review and somebody gave me a review on well I sent it through Podbean it's the cat's pajamas wrote in a world where we are bombarded with information what stands out about this podcast is that Bevan gives us takeaways that we can immediately apply to our lives Bevan is authentic and has a talent for enabling the best in others all that and is delivered in a fresh and fun way thanks Bevan so uh, the cat's pajamas whoever you are you know who you are uh, thank you very much for writing that review if you do want to support the show again pod, uh, you can become a uh, patron other than that um, my book's gone to the publisher that's pretty exciting it's pretty exciting team uh, publisher saying it's probably March April next year is when we'll release it because that's the way they roll they kind of have insight they said that's probably where we want to go for it so Exciting times ahead, eh? Exciting times ahead. Anyway, um, if you want to email me, bevanjamesgmail.com. If you want to support anything else I do, yeah, rock and roll. Anyway, let's wrap it up. As I always say, keep being you.